Pastoring one church can be difficult enough, but pastoring multiple churches simultaneously, that can be even tougher. A multi-church district offers some unique challenges and privileges. Today on Ministry in Motion, Harold Alamia will share with you some helpful insights on how you can effectively pastor and lead multiple congregations. Today's topic, pastoring multiple churches. You're watching Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. Harold, you've pastored in multi-church districts. Tell us a little about some of the contexts that you've pastored in. Well, thank you for that question, Anthony. Um, yes, I have uh, pastored in, uh, I would say, a couple of, of multi-church uh, contexts. The first is um, what we would call a small uh, district, three churches up in uh, Colorado. Um, and then in North America, it would be a larger uh, context. It was, uh, we started off with eight churches, ended up uh, by the end of our time there with nine uh, in Wyoming and Colorado. Right, okay. Yeah. Now, entering into a district like that where there's eight or nine churches, mm -hmm. how, do you, how did you do that entry process? Because it, it can be quite challenging, can't it? It's, it's not a matter of just going to the one church and you've arrived, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's more than that. Yeah, um, it is. It's challenging, especially um, when you consider that uh, in in that particular district, our the shortest drive that we had from our house to the church was 112 miles one way. Wow, 112 S miles. I'm just doing the kilometers with that. Like that's something 200 maybe kilometers. It's getting there. Yeah, yeah getting there. It's, it's, or 170 it's, kilometers, maybe. Yeah. Is like, what is it, 1.8? So, yeah, 180 kilometers to get there just one way. Yeah. Um, that was the shortest one. Wow. Um, so, largest one was 220 miles one way. Um, I'm not going to do the math. Yeah, I studied yeah. theology. It's a long way. Yeah, it's yeah. a long ways. Um, so, uh, it was a little challenging uh, for that. Uh, respect, but I think a lot of it helped with the with the conference doing a little bit of pre-work, saying, "Hey, in the next um, couple of of weeks, you will the new pastor will be arriving." There was a lot of phone calls uh, to the local elders and to the local leadership, uh, just saying, "Hey, I'll I'll be in this Sabbath. I'll be heading there." And as much as I as as much as we tried, we would just stay there. My wife and I would just go and spend the entire uh, weekend, actually. Uh, with that congregation. Um, so it wasn't just a Sabbath thing for a couple hours and then we go home. We'd, we'd actually spend the day or go there Friday afternoon, probably visit a couple of people in the afternoon and then stay the weekend and head back. So it, it was difficult, but we still tried to manage the first invite, uh, the first thing uh, to that place to discover at least where people stand and where they're not. Um, and incidentally, in that district, the very first Sabbath we were there, that's when we discovered that there were eight churches, not seven, um, because we... we <laughs> That's got, a pretty major discovery. Yeah, we, we, we get to the... It was a church in Rollins in Wyoming, and we got there, 
wife and I, and we actually did go there on Friday afternoon. We got there Sabbath morning because it was the shortest, the shortest drive, and we had to go somewhere else uh, that day. Um, and we got there, and the first was uh, was kind of like the head elder to say hi and say, "Oh, Pastor Harold, yes, welcome, hi." And he said, "You, know, you speak Spanish, right?" And I said, "I, on occasion, I do. Yes, if if the occasion merits it." He said, "Okay, follow me." And we go into the sanctuary, and in the sanctuary there was about 25 to 30 other people, mostly Hispanics. And they said, this is our Spanish church. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean the Spanish church? We don't have a Spanish church. The conference, oh yeah, no, they've been meeting for us about for almost a year, but they just sit in there while we sit in Sabbath school, and then we switch places. But nobody knew that there was a strong Spanish group and uh, they said to the group, here, make your new yeah, pastor. Here's the new pastor. El pastor está acá, you know. And I said, hola. And um, I then called the conference and said, hey, uh, surprise, there's a Spanish group meeting here. So that was, uh, that was fun. Yeah. So much for first introductions. All right. Uh, so you, you, your story there, it really tells the point. Pastoring multiple congregations, you, you're in for a surprise. Yes. It's, it's hard to lead. Uh -huh. Because there's a big expanse there and right. multiple congregations. At times we don't even know exactly how many. Mm -hmm. And this story can be replicated on many places mm -hmm. around the Adventist church. Right. So, and I'm interested in the, the connection opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going down and spending a weekend mm -hmm. with, with a church, that's, that's immersion, saturation type mm -hmm. ministry. Right. What, what was it like for you as the pastor? How, how did you feel that that enabled you to connect with the members? Um, well, it, uh, it was partly, I think, an idea of us trying to meet the necessities and the needs of, of, of being with the folks and um, being immersed as much as we could in the cities that we didn't live in. So it was nine churches in, in, in six different locations. Um, so every six weeks we just rotated. It allowed us to do that. Uh, and the conference was very uh, wise in saying, all right, we're going to help out with Rocky Mountain Conference at the time. Uh, we're going to help out and we're going to give you two, two nights at a hotel. It's on us, you know, right. aside from the travel budget, whatever you get. That's on us so you can be there. Um, so it was the, the churches that I wasn't able to immerse myself into as much were the ones that were the furthest away from where we lived. Right. Um, where we lived, we did immerse ourselves as much as we could with the community. We spent obviously more time there, and it was the central church. You know, it was the one that has the most people. It was the one that was the healthiest of the district. It was the one that had more reliability. So we spent ourselves in that community a lot more than in the other ones. The ones that were closer by, you know, the 180 kilometers one way, we would go see in the middle of the week sometime and just drop by and say hi and this and that or have prayer meeting or something uh, with them. But the weekends were the ones where we were able to go visit people. We'd schedule visits with them. We would just spend time with the members and get to know them at least in those first six, to one, six months to a year of trying to immerse ourselves, ourselves in the community uh, where they were. Uh, because it is important. It's yeah. vital vital for them to see and to know that the pastor, in, in this case, the pastor is present. He's there. He's wanting to be part of this community. He is interested in the community. And he's interested in, in, in people. And we genuinely were. It's yeah. not just part of the gig. 
yeah. but be really interested in the people and where they are and what their struggles are. And that's what we were trying to do. Let me, let me talk to you about, because I'm, I'm listening to your experience mm -hmm. there. I want to hear from you the, the fatigue factor. Right. You know, if, if you're going to stay in a hotel you're, for the weekend and... You rack up those honor points, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. But <laughs> you, you're also, you, you're not down there on a vacation. No. You know, it's, it's a really intense ministry. Like you're in that location for six weeks uh -huh. and, you know, everything's coming out for you. You, you, you know, how, and then Monday comes around again and the work week starts. Yeah. How do you, just in a few seconds, we need to go to a break, but I want to hear from you. How do you manage fatigue in that context? Um, the one advantage that we had in managing fatigue was that we did not have children at the time. So that was key. We were younger at the time. Right. So it was very important for us to, to, to go and sort of enjoy the trip and at the same time uh, keep that in mind. You know? Terrific. When we come back, I want to talk about delegation. Right. The things you did delegate and the things that you didn't delegate. Yes. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is pastoring multiple churches and our guest, Pastor Harold Alamia. Now, Harold, what were things that you delegated and what were the things, the essential things that you found yourself that you needed to do as the pastor? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think delegation came, I found myself not necessarily having specific things that I would always delegate, but things that uh, at the time being were necessary to delegate, I would delegate. So sometimes if I was gonna be away from the district period, um, I would delegate preaching. And normally one would say, well, the pastor's yeah. got to do the preaching. Yeah. But sometimes you have to delegate the preaching and, and leave it to the elders. Um, uh, sometimes I would definitely, mostly it would be the administrative functions sometimes. Uh, board meeting, you know, sometimes board meeting, if it happened, because in small rural churches sometimes the board meeting is once every six months because there isn't a whole lot going on. Um, and, and you try to change that culture from a maintenance culture to a visioning culture of a board. But sometimes there were administrative tasks that were needed to, uh, that needed to be delegated. Uh, visitation sometimes, hey, could you please check on brother such and such or sister such and such. I'll be there in a couple of days, but if you could just check on them and see how they're doing and we would do that type of thing. So it wasn't, I didn't find myself specifically delegating things as much as as what arose and knowing who I could trust in that particular church, say, hey, I, I can trust, I need you for this. So yeah. could you help me out with this and that? And that's how uh, we managed a lot. So I'm, I'm not hearing anything mm -hmm. that you did that you didn't delegate. You, you participated yourself, you mm -hmm. shared, yeah. but you empowered the, the local volunteer congregational leaders right. to function in ministry. Well, yeah, I mean, especially in a rural district, uh, in, in, a, in a district setting, and, and I believe probably in North America it might be more the case than in other parts of the world, you, you find yourself in a transitional, uh, transient, that's the word I was looking for, in a transient mode. 
So they're the ones that are there permanently. Yeah. The, the membership is there. They know more than you. And, and that is incredibly pivotal to understand. They know more than you mm. about their district, about their, you might know more theology, but they know more about their lives. So rely on them. Yeah. You need to rely on them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I found myself not saying, well, I'm going to do this forever. But sure, there are main responsibilities, but a lot of times I, I rely on them. So did you find yourself involved with training or equipping mm -hmm. in some way to, to empower these volunteers? Ab absolutely. There was one, uh, the, the, the central church once again in, um, in Rock Springs uh, where, where we pastored and where we live, didn't need as much training as other churches. I remember there was one particular church in that district that we did a little bit of leadership uh, training and some conflict management training because it was, you know, when you have uh, churches in that much, some of them are bound to be a little bit more conflicted than others. Uh, so we did a little bit of that, uh, of trying to see how they could solve their conflict resolutions, how they could, you know, em empower their leadership, understand who they were as a church, and try to lead them into that process of understanding the, the important role that they had in that community of that town. Um, so uh, there was preaching seminars that I, you know, we would do once in a while, um, and uh, it, it helped them. Once a year, uh, in that district, we were able to do uh, a district gathering where we brought an outside guest. Um, and the, the, the entire district went to a central location, um, geographically central location. And we had a, a whole Sabbath training on how to study the Bible, on how to have personal devotions, on how to walk with the Lord, on how to pray, that type of thing. And, and it really helped on keeping the membership involved and, and growing in their faith. Good, good. Uh, so that that is part of the of yeah. the of the job, you would say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I heard you before. You use the word visit and visitation. Yes. And you're now pastoring a single congregation with uh -huh. a, a multi-staff. Yeah. What What did visitation look like when you visited? Yeah, I can see you smiling when you visited. You know, a, a, in the context of the multi-church district. Um. In a sense, it's the same, and in a sense, it's different. Um, it's different because, uh, once again, in a, in a multi-church uh, uh, district that, that has a rural base, you find yourself going to homes sometimes for longer and for uh, unique experiences. Uh, I remember once visiting one of our elderly members, and he, he, had, he had committed himself to build my wife a cello. A cello? Okay. Yes. Okay. Why, why she plays the violin, but he had committed himself to build her a cello. What a lovely thought, though. Like, it is a lovely thought. It, and Rosie, she's my wife, she was like, I don't, okay, thank you. We appreciate it. I, and there was no way stopping him. So I remember going into, and the man was really a, a woodworker. And I remember going into a shop and seeing all the instruments, and like the, 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 the tools that he had and everything, and the big lump of, of wood that was going to be the cello. Um, but it was a nice long visit at him, with him, with his house. Um, we would go into parts that the members would tell me, okay, if you're going to come, you need to come only during this month. 
you can't come during the winter months, especially because we didn't have a four-wheel drive vehicle at the time, and say, if you're going to come and you should be in this day, make sure it's not muddy because we're going to have to take the tractor out to pull you out of the ditch, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, when we went, we understood why they gave us those indications. Like, wow, it's really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so you find yourself visiting more often, it feels, uh, and, and having a little bit more of a, of a different connection with people in their homes. Because visitation, many a pastor will tell you, visitation will forgive a myriad of sins. It will forgive bad preaching, <laughs> bad administration. It will forgive a whole slew of things that sometimes different contexts of ministry do not forgive visitation covers that multitude of sins because the folks, the people know that you're not doing it just because it's your job, but you authentically care for them, love them, and you will go anywhere. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, we, we're going to throw you to a break now. Okay. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about the important things to manage. Uh -huh. and there's lots of things to manage in terms of time, distance, right. and other things that occur when you have so many churches. Absolutely. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is pastoring multiple churches and our guest, Pastor Harold Alamia. Now, Harold, when, when you the nurturing pastor for eight or nine congregations, mm -hmm. did you find that there was a certain element of, I might call it competition, that can come between the, the, the you're laughing and nodding, yeah. Yeah, between congregations. Yeah. Um, how do you manage that? Um, there, uh, there was an interesting aspect of competition and at the same time, um, at least in, in this particular district, uh, the congregations knew I hate to say it, but their place, and, and I hate to use that word. But there was a hierarchy in terms they, of they, time. Right. They understood that, for example, Steamboat Springs was the largest one. That's the one I had to go 220 miles away from where I lived. So they knew that they weren't going to see me as much as where I lived. So it, it was sort of a, we get it, we can't see you as much. So we didn't get too much of the competitiveness as much as you don't spend too much time with us. And whenever it was, there was always a reminder of, well, you, you, I do spend one weekend out of six, every six weekends I'm here, guys. And every six, it's a weekend I spend with you. So there was always that reminder. And they were aware also once they saw that we didn't skip unless weather was really bad. But normally we didn't skip and it was just, it was always there. So there was a lot less of that once they, once the churches saw that, oh yeah, no, in fact, they do spend their time. Both him and his wife spend time here with us, equal amount of time as they do in other places. So as much as you could, you were meticulously fair. Yeah. In the, well, you have to. In that distribution. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, another key thing, when, when you're pastoring so many churches simultaneously, mm -hmm. inevitably, you're in a far-flung place. Right, you know? yeah. So how, how do you, you manage isolationism? Yeah, you know, and that, that is vital uh, for, especially in our case for, for a married young couple, 
uh, fresh out of the seminary. It was vital. Uh, we, we drove into one of the towns saying this might be the place where we live. We took one look at it and said, nope. <laughs> we, we took the exit to the next one, and then we went exactly where the conference had recommended. This is probably where you want to live. Uh, there was a shopping mall there. Um, so um, we, uh, we, f we had to find uh, two things. Find a place outside of the district that we found uh, a ways away. Um, we, would, we would drive to Salt Lake City. That would be our go-away place. Um, but then also we was that kind of like a retreat? Yeah, where you would go and exactly decompress. decompress every I don't know six weeks, whatever, two months, something. We would just on a Sunday we'd say, should we go? Yeah, let's go, and we would just drive. Right. Um, you, and you get used to the long distances yeah. where we were. You, absolutely, life. yeah, you get totally used to being two hours on the road. It's normal to being two two and a half hours on the road. It's fine. It's normal to get in one place. Yeah. Um, but we also uh, learned to enjoy the beauty of the places where we were in the isolation. Uh, so it's either you complain about being isolated and you groan, or you actually begin to look at the positive of being in the middle of nowhere and the beauty that that brings, the, song, the, the calmness of being in places where there's not a whole lot happening, where you can see nature, where you can see the vastness of the country. Sounds peaceful. It, it is. It actually is. So yeah. you, you need to change that, that mindset sometimes. So the isolation, you can be in New York City and, and, and feel isolated, or you can be in Wyoming and not feel isolated. A lot of it has to do with the mindset that you go into a place. Yeah. Yeah. And in this context, did, did you find, because it's a long way mm -hmm. to the head office or wherever, did you find you being stretched, but mm -hmm. you grew as a result? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, nowadays there's even a whole lot of ability to communicate with the central office, you know, with the conference, you, you've got FaceTime, uh, phone, whatever. So the isolation really doesn't necessarily need to happen. What does get challenging is when you have a family. Um, again, I can see how it would have been a completely different dynamic for us if we would have had children at that district. Mm. Because that's where, especially small children, that need routine, that need consistency. Because smaller kids need that consistency, need that routine in order to stay sane. And sane children lead to a sane wife. So <laughs> you, you, it can be more challenging with children. Yeah. And I can see how you would need to rely a little bit more on not traveling as much or, or not traveling with your family as much. So it would be a different dynamic, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're running out of time. Yeah. But just two questions if we've, if we've got a chance. Absolutely. The first one is, what, what would you say to a congregation uh -huh. that's in this setting where they're part of a, a, a multi-congregational district? Mm -hmm. what, what do you wish that they knew that you could say in kindness and love to that congregation? Yeah. Um, you're part of something else. You might feel isolated in the middle of nowhere, and you might feel that the next church is really 180 kilometers away from where you are, but you're part of a district, and that's part of something bigger. So keep that in mind. It's not just by yourself. And that one of the things that helped us to, to convey that message and make it real for them was the fact that we were able to live stream around this district. Yeah. So wherever we went, 
we were streaming video and audio, the sermons, which made a sermon series out of it, to every single church in the district. So they got the sense of community in spite of the vastness of the territory. They got a sense of community and they knew that they were part of something bigger. You're part of something larger. It's not just you isolated. There's a district and that district belongs to a conference, that conference to a union, part of a world movement. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Keep you know. the vision. Keep, keep, the, this, keep the vision big, yes. Yeah. And typically mm -hmm. it's younger pastors fresh from the theoretical training right, yeah. that arrive into these places. Just in a sentence or two, what would you say to a young pastor entering this as their first field? Enjoy it. I mean, seriously. It, it, I, I'll admit the first, the, the first couple of weeks, uh, my wife and I wondered if we had done something to anger Jesus. Oh, no. uh, because we're like, why? You know, we transferred from a, a university campus to the middle of nowhere. But it hit us while driving to one of our churches. It was a beautiful sunset on a Friday afternoon. There was a moon and, and it, it hit us. Either, either we, we enjoy the ride or we complain about this ride. And once you begin to enjoy the ride and enjoy this place and love the people, the outlook is completely different and you actually don't want to leave. We didn't want to leave by the time they took us out. Words of wisdom and yes. I can say, what you say, I echo. You yeah, know, like absolutely. There, there is a, a community and a connectedness yes. that, that happens in those environments, mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful experience of ministry. Yep. Harold, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, ministry. thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Thanks for the insights and what you brought. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on today's program of Ministry in Motion, where we explored pastoring multiple churches with Harold Alamia. Six important points were made in today's program. First of all, delegation is crucial. Secondly, train and empower local leaders to minister. Thirdly, don't neglect visitation, but adapt your visitation to members who are geographically scattered. Fourth, strive to be balanced in meeting each church's needs. And the fifth point was, if you're in a remote location, Take intentional steps to remedy the isolation. And six, encourage small remote churches that they're part of something bigger. Once again, thank you for joining us on Ministry in Motion. You can watch not only this program on our website, but also all of the programs that we've ever produced. Our website is ministryinmotion.tv. So as well as the Hope Channel, there's the website. But until next time, may God richly bless you.